0: This is the unfiltered truth about entrepreneurship, raw, no BS, no sugarcoating. Welcome to Entrepreneur Intel. I'm your host, Wes Matthews. Each episode, we'll learn from experienced founders and uncover the top 5% learnings that led to their success in all things personal, family, and business. This show is sponsored by Stealth Consulting, delivering clear marketing strategies, ROI, and no surprises. So today's guest, super excited. Uh, his entrepreneurial journey started with a single piece of real estate, but has since grown to over 900 units. He has over 35 employees doing 3.5 and more property management, uh, over 130 million in property holdings. He also helps investors harness the business power of real estate investments. He's a pilot, a helicopter pilot, a pilot of planes, owner of epic property management josh sterling josh welcome
1: thanks wes appreciate you having me on
0: man that's uh that's a mouthful there uh that's a lot of stuff uh but i gotta start with this question so you've been doing this entrepreneurial thing for i think about 15 years
1: what's the most important lesson you've learned thus far um all right so yeah I, i definitely didn't start uh out as an entrepreneur or with the goal to be an entrepreneur it was uh i'm sure we'll get into it um Quite the uh, unintended journey, um, and uh, you know the looking back and and you know uh, knowing that you might ask me that today, I uh, I racked my brain a little bit to to think about what is this big key piece of success you know knowledge this tip that I could you know provide and uh, frankly it's it's back to the most simple thing it's boring so here's here's your amazing uh, here's my amazing advice on that entrepreneurial journey um, I truly believe that any success I have found. Is ninety plus percent tied to unwavering efficiency and relentless tracking? How boring is that, right? Process. So, <laughs> I've always, I, I've looked back and I, I've, you know, thought about the journey along the way and what has helped me and what is, you know, I, of course, I think any entrepreneur does. And and what I've realized is that it's it's about the most boring thing in the world. But but I am the guy that follows through. On every single thing to the end of the day, zero inbox, nothing left on the list, whatever it takes to do and again, it sounds boring, but i I don't know how common that is out there, and i I think that that has been a huge driver of success for me.
0: so did you find that out like early on as a kid? Were you doing things where you're just like, you know where where did you discover that you just kind of yearned for that? You know, I've
1: always just been—I've always just had a lot of perseverance. Um, and you know, I don't think I've ever been the smartest guy in the room, and I certainly am not the most creative. Um, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there that I'm sure that 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 uh, advice and that mindset doesn't uh, doesn't get you very far. Um, you know, but there's also a lot of businesses out there, such as mine, where it's really a day to day. It's almost a grind. That's a, a, a boring way to put it. Uh, you know, there's a lot more energy behind it than a grind. But yeah, for sure. But I think that um, you know, if, if you're in the type of business where there's these high flying opportunities, and and there's this you know the, this new technology coming about, and this new amazing creative idea, that might not apply to you so much. But in in a real, you know, boots on the ground, day-to-day operational business, such as what we're in, um, to me, it really just comes down to just unwavering efficiency and, and just relentless tracking, monitoring is is truly where what we've been built on. And and it's how we become, you know, successful in our industry and in our niche.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to unpack that with you because there's a couple big things in there. One, I want to talk about, talking a little bit about, you know, you being a pilot. You know, was that early on in your career? Because everything you're telling me, I'm like, man, like, that's a great pilot, right? Making sure that everything's done properly, you know, me- you know, measure twice, cut once kind of a concept. So was that sort of your first, I guess, call it job coming out of high school before you became an entrepreneur?
1: You know, so, um, actually it's a a quick side note, funny story. My first, uh, my first job, I worked at a McDonald's, which is like a assembly line back in my hometown. I was like the one job you could get before you turn 16 years old at like 15 and, you know, three months or something. You could, you could work there. Some, some weird things. I I worked there right away and it was very systematic approach, but I I actually remember back to getting that job and I had to go in there like 15 times, like it wasn't like today. I think we could just walk in anywhere and get a job. It was like I, it was like a coveted position to get amongst high school kids because you need to make some money. And I remember that that uh, general manager telling me like, "Wow, you're the most persistent person I've ever met." And it's just kind of stuck with me. I've always kind of been that way. But no, I went to uh, I went off to college. I, I grew up in California. I went off to college at uh, uh, a school in Florida called Amber Riddle, which is a, a large aviation school, and um, almost everybody goes through there. Um, in the aviation program goes to work for, for the airlines, goes to fly for the airlines. So that, that was my master plan. And, um, you know, uh, it, it didn't go, I'm having to dive more into that. It didn't go exactly as planned and, and led me down the entrepreneurial path. But a lot of that training, a lot of that, you know, learning to be an airline pilot is absolutely a systematic procedural type uh, career. So I don't know if it was uh, like the chicken and the egg. I don't know if I'm yeah. that kind of person or if that career made me that kind of person. But yeah. Um, We are definitely a checklist driven SOP systematic procedural company.
0: Yeah, what tripped that for you, right? So you're a pilot, you go to school. I mean, I I would assume that going to school, being a pilot, like that's a big deal. Maybe families are like, Josh is a pilot, this is your career, or some, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Ah, I don't want to do this. Or (laughs) obviously you do it at a different capacity, but what kind of led you to to look elsewhere? Because I think about a pilot, and maybe it's just a bad perception, but they're like career pilots, right? They just kind of do their yeah. thing and then you retire and life is yeah. good. But you were at some point where like, no. Yeah.
1: Goes. So it, I mean, it is a great job. And actually right now today, it's probably one of the greatest careers you could go into. Um, but it wasn't for a long time. And there's a, a whole history of, you know, the aviation industry in America, but, um, going back to like deregulation in the late seventies. Um, but my timing, my timing was terrible. So I, uh, I really didn't have any flying background. I don't have any family that's flown through your lines or anything like that. But, you know, I'd always grown up with the, my parents telling me, go to college, you know, get a good job and buy a house for yourself. And that's the American dream. And I'm like, okay, well, how hard is that? You know, I grew up in a not extremely you know, well-off family. We the parents were okay, but certainly weren't, uh, weren't well off. And so when I went off to college, it was all student loans. You know, it was on me to do something. Yep. So I went across the country I moved from California to Florida and you know having no idea that a week after I get to school 9/11 hits so that Ooh. started my terrible journey in the airlines so I that ta- what a time what a time like, you can't you can't plan that um, so here I' I moved across the country I was actually still 17 years old I was always young for my, my age there and uh, for my you know graduating class across the country. I know no one. I'm starting out in this career. I've got like, I know I'm going to have 200 grand in student loan debt when I get done, um, but I'm going to be an airline pilot. It's great. 9-11 hits. Industry is just in turmoil. And that basically was the, the, the background for the next four years while I was in college. So it scared me a lot because I knew this was on me. A lot of the guys I was there with at school, they, you know, parents might have been paying for it. They didn't have the pressure that I felt, I, I think. And yeah. so it made me work really, really hard, um, which was a, a benefit in that I graduated uh, in 05 um, from Ember Riddle and, and I was in the top of my class. So nobody had been getting hired that whole time because of that you know, fallout from 911, And I was one of the few that got hired. Uh, at right, right into the airlines, right out of college, 22 years old. So now I, I think I've got it made. Um, and so I started out in the journey as a, a pilot, you know, and you work your way out from a first officer and, you know, I, I hit the progression well, and I was a captain at 23 years old. And I, I just, I kind of thought I had it made, you know, and I bought a house for myself and I'm like, I've checked every box that I was supposed to do, go to college, get a good job, buy a house Yeah, sounds, sounds great. Sounds great. Like, I got this figured out, you know, yeah. I was like a, a you know. Low, you know uh, lower 20s and um you know a couple years into that um i'm just going to work every day i'm just an airline pilot you know houses get little houses get big it's pretty pretty straightforward job i don't even know what's going on in the economy or anything it doesn't matter i just fly airplanes yeah and um uh, it, it ends up we're in like the 0708 time frame and i just changed uh, to airlines i just gone to an airline taking a job as a captain i mean it's the right path that's how you get your you know the, the turbine PIC time and that's how you move forward in the industry. But it was January of 08. And I walk into work and I check my mailbox for my trip and I've got this notice in there that says in three weeks you're getting a 50% pay cut because we're going out of business. And I'm like, I just started here. I'm like this is terrible. <laughs> like I i can't even pay my student loan debt with this. Um and I'm like well shit I've done everything right. I've gone to college I've done well in school I've gotten a great career you know that most people thought was a great career i bought a, a house myself oh by the way that was upside down by like 80 percent um because the wow. economy had tanked and and i'm like i've done everything right and like i have zero control um of anything that happens you know um it's not like i or anybody i had worked with it was in that same situation had like flown the airplane improperly or like you know not passed a check checkride or like whatever like we we're just a victim of the greater economy that we had zero control over. So it was a real it was a, it was like a the worst time but ended up being a great time for me because it it made me realize that I've got to depend on something I can control. So the entrepreneurial yeah. journey was born.
0: See so a lot of things happened right that's that's crazy to start that journey at the time of 9/11 when I remember that time vividly of planes getting grounded everything was disrupted I think I was 21 so I mean I'm different headspace than, than where we're at today but and then you get to a point where the economic collapse of 08 09 so here you are thought you did all the right things reflecting back like what was that <laughs> what was that next step or push right because to me you seem like the type of guy it's like okay well let's go to this airline or go over here or you know maybe yeah. fly private like what was that next push for you
1: so, you know, at the time, um, it was a little bit of, it was a little bit of frustration. I think mostly frustration. You know, I, I'm a believer that a lot of things, if, if you're not happy about something in life, usually it takes a, a massive frustration to actually change that, right? And so for yep. me, that was something I remember vividly feeling the, the frustration of, I've really done nothing wrong at all. Um, and I am in a very, very bad spot um, with not much future upside, you know, back then the airlines were not looking good at all. I mean, they were laying people off. They were going out of business. People were getting downgraded. They were giving pay cuts. Like, it was just, it wasn't like I could go, okay, let's go to this next airline. Now you're on the, if they'll even hire you because they did, they had more pilots than they needed because you know, the economy was contracting. There, there wasn't much upside. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, it was just a, a realization. I've got to do something where I can control it to the best of my ability. Um, and and so I just, I started looking for just business opportunities, you know, that's, what can I do myself that at least I I can, you know, have a big effect on what the outcome would be. And I mean, I started several different little endeavors that didn't work out, just trying little things out. Um, but you know, an advantage that I had was I had been flying all over North America you know, all over the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Caribbean, and, and I'd seen all kinds of markets um, that I think probably most people had not I mean, I might be in Des Moines, Iowa, one day, Charlotte, the next, San Francisco, the next. You know, and so I, I that was a little bit of a benefit, um, and I, I just kind of had this thought of I don't know how to do anything but fly airplanes, but what's an easy business? Well, I can rent out a house. That's easy, right? You you buy a house, and someone sends you a check every month, and then you cash the check, You're like. Cool. Greatest business ever. It's turns out there's a little more to it than that, but that's kind of how it started.
0: So introducing you earlier, started with one single piece of property. So you have this idea, hey, real estate, people pay rent, send a check. It sounds to me like with your process and your background, real estate's already there, right? The process has been created to a certain degree, but now you're mm-hmm. able to play. So talk about that, that leap. Cause I think that leap is really scary for people. I mean, you left, well, I mean, you were kind of forced, but at the same time going to be an you know, from a, from a, let's call it a corporate job to become an entrepreneurial and, you know, leap and take that jump. Like, how did you, how did you, what did you do for that one property that propelled you? Did you like self-finance that? Did you have a mentor? Like, what was that like first day? Like when you decided to go down this path
1: of real estate? So, yeah, keep in mind, you know, now real estate is kind of sexy, right? Uh, you know, here in 20, what, 23. In 2008, 2009, real estate was not sexy, right? But there's, again, another, I guess, benefit to, you know, getting your pay cut in half and not even having enough money to pay your student loans or your mortgage on your upside down house or anything like that, is it backs you into a corner. And there is nothing more explosive or dangerous than a man backed into a corner with nothing to lose. So... Um, that was my propellant. You know, I I had nothing to lose. I I had a couple hundred grand in student loans. I had a house that was way upside down that I still to this day own, and it's probably barely not upside down today. Um, I mean, it was looking really bad, and I knew how to do nothing but fly airplanes, which was not a good career at the time. So I went in and I took out a bunch of 0% credit cards because I said, well, fuck it. If I'm already broke, I might as well be a broker and have a (laughs) bunch of 0% credit card debt. And I used that. I tr- balance you, you get the balance transfer, your checking account thing, yeah. you write yourself a whole check. And, you know, back then you could buy houses in you know, fairly decent downriver markets um, for, for really, really cheap. And I balance transferred a bunch of, you know, credit card funds, basically 0% for 12 months to my checking account and bought a rental and rented it out and it worked. And it like, rented right away because back then I, I didn't really get the whole picture, but people were losing houses and there was a lot of demand for living somewhere. And it just kept like the light bulb just went on and I'm like, man, I could do this and I could do it a little better. I can actually fix up these houses, and make them nicer, um, you know, buy more of them. And I just started to slowly, slowly just add a single family house at a time as, as quick as I could get capital. That was the limiting factor. Um, Took me, I don't know, uh, maybe what did I get? Two years, eighteen months, or something. I got up to like five houses, and that was a big, big like turning point um, for for business growth. Um, I think what separated, you know, maybe me getting a few units up to getting to where we are today is I found a lender. I started looking for a lender that would that would give me some debt on these houses. I couldn't go qualify for a mortgage personally or anything. I had like almost no income, you know, at the time working between my airline job when I changed to. But but uh, after much, much searching, I found a lender who was able to go in and give me a blanket loan, like a portfolio loan across all properties as like unified collateral, um, which put me on like a different level compared to what I'd been used to. Now I had, I don't know, I think the first one was a hundred grand. I had a hundred grand to go work with when I'd been used to working with like, let me pull three grand from here and five grand from there. And, you know, oh, I got a personal loan for 12 grand or whatever. So now I had what... To me was a lot of money at the time um to go out and acquire and that's what really like set our growth path forward was was that newly found access to capital
0: so you mentioned like back in '8 you're coming off the you know your your pilot career mentioned like the economy do you think then like you didn't really did you really understand what was going in the economy or were you just like i'm gonna buy real estate Because I remember that time and there was like yeah, it was like a big meltdown but i'm like twenty i I'm, I'm not that old right so yeah um, you know, it, it's interesting because you mentioned because I, I, a lot of individuals how you get that first house sounds like you got to that clip of five and then you were able to kind of open up the next level, get some blanket blanket financing. But talk a little bit about yeah, like you don't have a job or your job's over and you've got to get money. You're you're borrowing zero percent. Now, did you look at this business as, you know, I'm just going to reinvest back in these properties or is it going to spit off some cash so you can like eat every day to day or like, how are you living for these first two years while you're doing this?
1: So at the same, roughly the same time that I started uh buying real estate, I also realized the airline career was terrible and I uh transitioned into an air traffic control uh career, which was a much higher paying, you know, job and more stable and whatnot. But that that took... Probably like twelve months of a process. So um, I was flying for the airlines. I was I would like bid. We had like what was called reserves. So you could bid to be like on call. And since they didn't really need to fly much, you weren't flying much. So I was like on call to work, but I would really just go work on these houses I was buying, which was a nice benefit. I was driving like an old beat up Honda Accord. It was like the rice and beans story, you know. I, I was actually living at my mother in law's. In, in like a bedroom at her house, like this is not glamorous shit. Yeah. Um, but I was building this business up, um, and until and, and it started to go somewhere, so yeah, there was a ton of sacrifice, both in like hours worked and lifestyle. Um, but it was it was really clear to me that there was a path forward um, in that in a scaling that business, you know, in, in getting much beyond one, two, or even ten or twenty. Um, you know, pieces of property. I could, I could see that the income was there, that the demand was there. Um, you know, that it was scalable.
0: So you sort of built your side hustle, you know, like you're into five air traffic control nine to five supporting your life, but your passion was real estate and you're starting to accumulate real estate, <laughs> which is great. I, you know, my, my wife was a nurse which supplemented my income starting my first business. Otherwise we would have been behind a dumpster. So <laughs> uh, thinking back, like I, I get scared sometimes thinking about those times. It's kind of crazy yeah. to think about. So you're an air traffic controller. You've got five pieces of real estate. Sounds like you know you probably hit. I'm just assuming. Love you to elaborate that your repeatable process or whatever you set up is starting to work. And yeah. at some point, you know, you you go from five to over 900. I'm gonna say in a very short amount of time because 2023. But I mean, probably within a decade, you you've grown grown a massive portfolio. So like what, when you, when you get to that point of, you know, your air traffic controller, at some point you're probably like, you know, the real estate thing's taken off oh. and, and now you got to level up or maybe cut that loose. Like what was going on during yeah. that time? Or how'd you make that transition?
1: So, you know, in hindsight, I probably made that transition like three years too late, but it's hard to give up that safety net. Right. So yeah. when I first started, man, I thought if I can get this to 30 properties, like that would be amazing. That would, it, I Think the math back in the day that would basically replace my air traffic control income or, or, or match that, yep. and I thought I'll have like either a great side hustle or if they ever did away with their traffic controllers, I don't know, give them a pay cut or something. I at least have some. I, I was always I was scared of that. You know what the airline industry had done to me, yep. so I wanted to, as quickly as possible, you know, have the ability to be financially free. So when I when I achieved that, which wasn't that hard to do actually, especially when you don't when your lifestyle is not that inflated, it's really not that hard to achieve financial freedom. Um, and, and so you know, it wasn't much to replace beyond that point. Then it was kind of just a game. It was just like a running up the score in a way. So I, I you know add a unit, I'd add a few bucks in cash flow, and that's where I talked earlier. Like I I enjoyed tracking it. I started tracking my net worth in September of 2011 because I realized that although you might not see the dollars in the bank account every single day that you, I was building some real wealth behind what yeah. I was doing here. And the only way to see it was to track that. So relentlessly to this day, I track it on the 20th of every month I did it yesterday. But um, so do you feel,
0: do you feel, you know, from a real estate perspective, I want to go back to like your, just your, your persistent for process and repeatable. And did you see that industry and did you kind of add your own flavor and build out your own process? Or did you find yourself just adapting to like, there's a million real estate books or like one plus one is two and buy this right. house, do this, do that. Or did you have like your own sort of version?
1: So, you know, I, thinking back, I was probably always pretty process oriented. You know, we'd have like back in the days I'd be doing like water bills from my laptop, like, you know, in a bedroom in a in my mother-in-law's house or some stupid thing. But I was always like documented, templated, but I think it really started to show when, I I started to get some scale and we got to about 50 units and I started the management company that today is epic. And, and then I after going the wrong way for a while where I was wearing every hat myself and only I can do it right. And, you know, I think most entrepreneurs have made, made that kind of e-myth mistake. Um, Which again, that's a whole nother path where frustration leads you to make a change. And I did, but that got me starting the management company. And I eventually started hiring people to work for me. That's when it, it was again super clear. This has to be structured, process-oriented operations manual procedures. I mean, you know, phone calls scripted for outbound call things like that. Um, because how else can you expect somebody to do something to a standard you expect it to be done if you don't give them a parameter to work with? Or you know, for me, I, I'm a fan of the the ops manual approach where. You know, I I like to say a drunk monkey can do this. It's step-by-step, click here, you know, enter this. Um, It's very straightforward. um, And that's where that came from.
0: No, it's great you think like that. Because I would say in my sphere of entrepreneurs, I know they they don't think like that. And then they wonder why things go wrong. I think a lot of (laughs) entrepreneurs like process, either it's lacking or it's in their brain. And they're like, why didn't this person understand what I'm telling them? It's like, well, what are they supposed to do? Like, I struggle with that as an entrepreneur at times, just thinking that people... Should know what I'm thinking, or um, yeah. so no, that, that, that's really interesting. So you get to a point, right? And I, I just kind of have a visual of Josh running around on clogging toilets and and fixing things, right? Because you're the jack of all trades, nobody's gonna do it better than you because we're the entrepreneurs, right? So, like, what what drove that? You know, what made you realize that I've got to start hiring or <laughs> myself because you know, again, like that to me, like that's the next level of, of probably explosive growth for you when you could kind of look in the mirror and say, man, all right, now I've got to do, I've got to grow. What forced you sure. to do that?
1: Um, I just like anything else, if you're not super smart. So I, you know, I didn't know what the heck I didn't know. It, and I took on so much that, you know, a 16 hour day of work wasn't enough to do everything. Um, and it led to a level of frustration, um, where, you know, I the, the breaking point for me, I remember thinking that a vacation without phone and internet is absolutely out of the question. Like I am way too tied every, even if I had somebody in the, the business working for me, they needed me to answer certain questions, right? I was the bottleneck at the top. Um, so frustration is what led to, to really breaking from that um, and, and and saying, okay, I've got to trust that the person I put in place is going to follow the procedures I put in place and run the operation as good or better than I could. Um, and, and it took just being able to let go of the, the handle a little bit, let go of that control and and let someone work within the parameters that, that we laid out.
0: No, that's good to vibe So you were forced to do it because you just didn't have capacity. Um, it sounds great because you have your systems and process guys. So I'm sure onboarding new, employees is a little bit easier because you've kind of thought all this through. Um, but then also as an entrepreneur, you're probably like, I got to give up a piece of the pie. Like that's revenue now that you have to pay. So it, it, yeah. it sort of shifts there. So at this point, I'm assuming you're making pretty good money. You're probably feeling really good, but now you got to start investing in people and bigger process. Sounds like, this is, is this when you spun up Epic Property Management and made that a real company?
1: You know, so we had started, I think, you know, Epic was... Um, you know, officially started back in 2012, but it was small. We had, I had, you know, one part-time, you know, assistant and I think I had a like, maintenance tech It was, it was pretty small scale. Um, it grew as we grew. So the benefits of those times were real estate was still fairly reasonable valuation and I could go out and acquire a building. Well, that brought in some top-line revenue you have a budget for management and so I, I kind of forced epics growth by adding real estate now i've got some top-line revenue to grow the management company but for those first it it took for me it's about 700 units to get to where it went from a losing endeavor to run a management company to actually profitable oh, um,
0: seven 700 units
1: right which the, I, I think the industry standard, I get, I talk about this all the time with other people in property management that are either starting out or want to start out. You could probably do the same thing and get profitable in like three to 400 units. Um, but we do some things that are really unique at Epic that, of course, require a lot more capital, a lot more cost to operate. You know, things like we're open seven days a week and we have all this, you know, we have all these vehicles out on the road. Like we operate an amazing niche in the property management. Management industry that's that's really hard to touch, um, but it takes a lot of investment to do that. Which I've been happy to make because for me it's always been about how can I run my properties the most efficiently. That's where I've made money, um, and, and, and that's that's how Epic was really founded and, and still really what guides us today.
0: Now, with that process, are are you looking at specific types of properties? Like so. Like family yeah, or... it's
1: um you know, our niche has morphed into this is this is kind of accidental again, just like everything else. But uh, what I started acquiring was kind of scattered sites. So it started with single families, then I worked into like small to mid-size multis, you know, you know, ten to twenty-five to maybe fifty unit apartment buildings. And I didn't really know why I was buying those types of deals. I, I wasn't specifically targeting them, you know, but I, I knew that I would run analysis on, let's say, 150-unit apartment building, and I could never justify paying what they expected it to sell for. Well, there's good reason behind that, it turns out, looking back, and, and that's that you go buy a 150- or 300-unit apartment building, and that is set up to run. That's set up for success by its nature of its construction. It's It's got enough scale right there at that building that you can put on-site leasing, on-site maintenance, maybe a couple of each. Um, very easy to run. We've got some in the portfolio that... Are that way, and they're generally much much easier to run than a 50-unit building where there is no capacity for on-site leasing, no capacity for on-site maintenance. So what you end up getting is the lady that lives there walking around in her bathrobe smoking cigarettes, showing your units, and the guy who got off work and he's three beers deep and he's fixing your garbage disposal, and just not a very professional way to run a property. So if you think about it, there's a big reason that. A mid sized multifamily property does not attract the valuation of a larger multifamily property because they're really, really hard to run. And that just so happens to be the portfolio we had built because I had found good value buying those size properties. And so we built our management company in a way that we can operate that 50-unit building just like you would operate that 200-unit building. And from a tenant perspective, there's very little difference. And, and that's that's become our niche is small to mid-sized multifamily properties from, you know, single family up to say 90 units.
0: So it sounds like you started this really successful, you know, real estate business. And then almost out of necessity, you started another business. Epic Properties support those properties. Are you, you, does Epic do other investors' properties if people want to get involved in single Mm -hmm. family? Like if I had one property, is that a good opportunity for Epic? Or does somebody have to have a certain amount of doors to, to work with Epic?
1: No, so we've got, yeah, we, we do a lot of third party business now um, and we manage anything from, you know, one single family house for a guy or several single family houses, does, you know, makes, makes no difference uh, up to some larger multifamily and anything in between. And, you know, the benefit is it really fits into our model. So if, uh, you know, I don't have to own every piece of real estate, of course we love owning it. Uh, it's great, great revenue stream. Um, but. If uh, you know Wes comes along and has a house or three or whatever that that he wants to have managed, it fits right into our system, and it makes no difference to our operations who owns that house. They're all treated the same.
0: Is there a is there a coverage area? Is it Michigan only? Are you outside of Southeast Michigan or?
1: So we are. Yeah, we go from uh, it's basically Southeast Michigan and Northern Ohio is is right now where we operate. So it's a um. An area from you know Shelby Township, Clinton uh, Township, up uh, you know East Point, those on the northern border, down to Toledo on the southern border in Ohio, and everything in between. We don't do Detroit at all. That's a, that's a whole different animal there. Um yeah. You know the the actual city of Detroit. Um, a whole bunch of other reasons we don't go in there, but everything around, kind of the inner city stuff, we'll do. it. a lot of downriver, down it's a great market. Um, you know Redford, Savanias, places like that.
0: So, I want to dive into a couple of things, but one, you know why real estate right? I mean, there's a traditional route of you know giving your money to a financial advisor. It's easier, it might be safe to some people, right? Maybe make four to eight percent follow the market, right? You think about real estate and there's all these things that can go wrong, people not paying their bill and all these different things, but there's a lot of competitive advantages uh can you touch on like? accelerated depreciation or just some of the advantages there of why people should think about real estate
1: for sure so i mean what early on i realized this with just a couple of properties you know and in most investments there's basically you know, limited ways you make money you might get some cash flow or dividend paid or something like that maybe some appreciation yeah. but there's usually not several different avenues you know but with real estate so you've got you know potential appreciation right You've got depreciation, so you get to depreciate the asset that's actually appreciating as, far as you know for tax purposes, which is amazing. Um, you've got uh, cash flow, which is a you know major consideration, right? You've got principal paydown, so which one? Probably my favorite. So you're paying your mortgage every month, and right now I'm you know lots and lots and lots of mortgages, so I pay down a lot of principal every month. That's already factored into your cash flow. People, most people don't re- really think much about that, but at scale, it's a huge number. And then um, an old Jason Hartman quote from like years ago I love is inflation-induced debt destruction. So you're buying, which now it matters, like 10 years ago, yeah. you're like, what's inflation? But, you know, you're buying something with today's dollars that your your debt's locked in at today's dollars, but you're paying them off with maybe 30 year later dollars, you know, and, and that right. could be hugely significant. You know, at, at 3% inflation, the value of a dollar, you know, gets... Gets cut in half every twenty-four years, right? So, it, it, who knows what inflation has been recently? Um, so that's a great way to buy something today and, and pay it off with much cheaper money, which is it's hard to put a number on what that adds in value, but it can be significant.
0: So to me, yeah, there's like five five ways to make money, right? Which there's not a not a lot of, a lot of vehicles to do that. But then you look at the market today, right? Houses are at the highest level that you know we've ever seen interest rates are where they had 8% or they've came down a little bit. So right. when I look at my own house and like the buying power I had when I bought it relative today, like if I took a mortgage on it, it'd almost be like double, triple from what it is. So I, I think that's, that's scary for some or there, you know, it's, it's unpredictable. What, what is your thought process as things change and where we're at today? Does that affect your strategy or does that make you more bullish, bearish?
1: So, you know, I'm I'm pretty bullish if you will on on the overall housing market because mainly I don't think you can reproduce housing at even today's prices in a lot of markets, you know, especially the Rust Belt Midwest areas where you know, you can still buy a reasonable house for below replacement cost. That that's not that at some point doesn't make sense. So, it was that was actually something that way 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 back in, you know, the recession Uh, 08 09 you know those years when you you could buy a house for forty thousand dollars that you know maybe say that house is 250 um it just it didn't make sense and it was an opportunity right um and i kind of still think of that so we were building some new construction um we built single family built for rent model um back in like 2016 through 2018 there's a great model um and we stopped doing it in like 2018 because our labor costs got too high. Labor materials costs got too high. Again, this is back 2018, way before the recent inflation we've seen. Yeah. But we couldn't justify the cost into these houses anymore to, to lease the property. Um, but look at it, what it would be now. It's insane. That house that I was building then for, you know, we were probably getting it done for about 100 bucks a foot, which is really efficient. Um, I'd probably be 200 bucks a foot to build that house today. Wow. So, makes me It makes me think that it, it's hard to, over the long run, it's hard to not do well owning real estate because you can't replace it.
0: So talk a little bit, if you will, about like syndications. So I, I look at myself as this sounds amazing, but whether I'm just making an excuse or I'm just too busy, like I, for me to buy a single family home right now and do all this myself, like I'm just not ready, I'm not comfortable. I've got other stuff going on. How can successful entrepreneurs get involved in real estate? I know you have some experience with, with um syndication. you want to talk a little bit about that and the benefits there?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean there's really two fronts of that. number one, um you know i would, I, I always try to make the caveat when I talk to someone that's new getting into real estate. If you just want to get into it for one or two or three houses, don't even do it because the ebbs and flows of the business it, if you don't have some scale, will can eat you up. You know, you have one water heater to go out. That's all your income for maybe a month or two, right? So, so I always put the cabinet, If you're not going to get at least ten units, don't even don't even get in in the first place. But that leads into that syndication model. It's it's a it's a great model because it lets you get into properties at scale. So you can buy you know basically all a syndication is is buying a small portion of a larger investment, right? So um, let's say it's a you know eighty unit apartment building that that we're going to go acquire. From time to time, we'll. Raise capital for that deal, and we'll divide the capital being raised into shares. So, you know, a typical investment for us might be $50,000 shares. And obviously, depending on size of building and, and the equity offering, let's just say that's two and a half percent of that building. So, if someone can put in $50,000 into one of our syndications and in theory, on, let's say, 2.5% of that deal, that means they own 2.5% of the cash flow, 2.5% of the appreciation, 2.5% of the depreciation, all the things I just listed, right? The principal pay down, um, all of that, they just share in the bigger picture, which you start out with scale. And so it, it can be a, a you know fairly simple way to get into real estate without actually going out and, and acquiring one house at a time.
0: No, it's really interesting. And I think one of the most exciting things for me about syndications is I don't have to do anything. The smart guys are going to operate and kind of take on most of the responsibility. And and the first year I did it, I got something in the mail and it was a large percentage of what I invested as a loss on my taxes. And, you know, I was already making money on this deal. And I think a lot of people... just just don't really understand the concept of accelerated depreciation and some of the advantages that real estate have. Um, it, it's, 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 it's very uh, lucrative, but I want to go back to something you said, because I think, you know, you're a guy I, I, I trust and respect, especially in the real estate side. You just said, unless you're going to get 10 units, if you want one to three, don't even do it. I think that's some solid advice from somebody who's grown to well over 900 units. Um, but again, don't let that be fearful. I got a little bit of taste through syndication, which might get me to the next level. But I'm also realizing like, I like syndications. Like I don't want to do the work and I don't, I don't know real estate. Like, you know, real estate. Now, are you guys open, right? With, you know, talking about Epic and your real estate deals. Like when you guys come across deals, are you looking to take on other investors or people that are looking to get in these multifamily deals?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the so I would never buy a deal for a syndication that I wouldn't buy myself. Um, And so the market for the last probably two years since all the liquidity came in after the pandemic, it it really is what what lowered yields so much. The market's been incredibly challenging to find any type of value, even in our niches of the market that are hard for most people to touch, kind of that mid-size multi where we really can typically find some great value. There's just been really limited opportunity so it's been a pretty slow i think i don't think we've closed on a syndication we, we have one small one to close on this year i take that back but prior to that it's been it'll be two years now today since our last you know relatively mid-sized to, to large-scale syndication because the opportunity wasn't there so i personally think with my crystal ball i think it's coming i think there's some some you know cracks in the economy uh macro at least and at some point that leads to some potential value. So yeah, as deals come about, certainly we'll be putting some more, you know, marketing deals together.
0: Awesome. No, that, 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 that's great. Cause I, I think, I'm not sure if people realize that that's an opportunity out there. They may think that they have to come in buy the house. I've thought about this process before, you know, what's the max I can make in a house. Obviously you have appreciation and then depreciate all these different things. Do I really want to, you know, Put some money down and break even, or lose a bit of the money, and have a tenant not pay me for two months, and I'm a little bit negative cash flow. Right. Or do I go into a syndication and potentially make six to fifteen percent cash flow, depreciation, appreciation, all that stuff? So wow. I think you know, weighing your options. There's opportunities out there for people that want to get involved <coughs> um, and work alongside super smart, successful people. But I want to touch back on the the pilot thing: helicopter, plane. Like, is that, is that where you spend most of your time when you're not accumulating uh, a bunch of real estate?
1: You know, I, I love it. Flying is like the ultimate freedom, right? So we've got a, a King Air 300 that um, you've been on, Wes, I know. And then and, um, and I've got an R66 helicopter, which is, I don't know, probably four years ago or so I got into helicopter flying. It's a whole different kind of flying, but they're, they're completely different, right? You know, you get in the, the big airplane, it takes you far fast, but you're up, it's like beyond an airliner. And in the helicopter, you're landing in your backyard, flying around low, you know, great visibility, you know, but you're not going real far, real fast. So totally, I, I love both angles of aviation. It's just always been something that um, that I've enjoyed, just kind of my passion. And, and now we just do it for fun um, instead of for a career, which is, I guess, good.
0: That's awesome. That changes things. So you're you're in Grozeal. No, I really appreciate the shares today. You, you gave a lot of nuggets, a lot of information couple things like wh- where can people find you if, if number one you're a wealth of knowledge super successful guy in a lot of different areas but especially if people want to talk about syndications like how how can people connect with you where, where can they find josh it's hard to call you when you're when you're flying but with your <laughs> day-to-day business how, how do you get josh
1: sure. so i mean probably the first and easiest is just social media so facebook you know josh sterling or instagram uh, is jk.sterling Um, and then, um, syndication models, what we typically do if somebody's interested, um, we've got a regular investor letter that we'll just go out with, you know, general market updates, typically quarterly. Um, so if you want to get on that, um, my email is josh at epicpm.com. I would add you to that list. Um, and then, um, I've got a partner who works in investor relations, typically handles that communication. Um, that just keeps people aware of what opportunities we either may have in the pipeline or, or currently, um, offering on, um, you yeah, know, but either one of those models, socials are probably best for, uh, just following and keeping up and, uh, and email if you're looking for the syndication side.
0: Awesome, Josh. Well, Hey, I, you know, I, I could pick your brain all day and night about this real estate stuff, but I want to just thank you again for coming on and sharing your knowledge. You, you added a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much.
1: All right. Thanks for having me with us.
0: So thank you to the audience. If you learned something today or laughed, or, you know, you, you now want to take over the world of real estate. Tell us about the podcast. Uh, this has been another exciting episode of Entrepreneur Intel. Thank you again, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been another episode of Entrepreneur Intel. Thank you for joining us. For show notes or other episodes, please visit us at EntrepreneurIntel.com. Until next time.